As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. My name is Ryan Bailey, and on this episode, we're having a threesome to discuss the red-hot action of the last few days. First up, (laughs) joining me, we have a man who has never blown a trumpet at the climax of the action. I'm, of course, alluding to Athletic Club's Asia Via Libre and nothing else at all. It's Taylor Rockwell. Taylor, how are you, sir? I, I am doing well. I have not played trumpet since I was 12 years old, and I was instructed to maybe not play so much during the recital. That's my okay. uh, trumpet experience. Via Libre, much better at it than I. I'm reading no euphemism into that statement whatsoever. <laughs> and joining Taylor and I right now is a man who would never get a bit messy by finishing too soon. I'm alluding, of course, to Leo Messi getting a red card in the Spanish Supercopper. It's Graham Rugburn. Graham, hello. Hi, Ryan. I'm really not sure what to say to that, so I'm just going to say hello, and I hope you're well. <laughs> I'm very well, and I'm I'm delighted by the reaction to my intro from both of you. Wonderful stuff. Um, we've got plenty of games we'll be talking about today. We've got the biggest class in English soccer, or the biggest disappointment in English soccer, if we're going to call it that, Liverpool against Manchester United. We've got the Black Country Derby, which is the biggest game for people with an accent who sound like Ozzy Osbourne. We've got the Derby d'Italia coming up. We're going to talk about that Inter Milan taking on Juventus as they did on Sunday and the aforementioned uh, euphemism filled Spanish Supercopa we're going to deal with that as well later on in the show before we get to the action gents Graham there's something I've got to talk to you about I've been looking at your Instagram feed and there's a delightful video of your young daughter who is uh, watching the TV and it's uh, it's your good lady wife on the TV who is a newsreader in Scotland um, saying oh look there's mummy on the TV and the picture on the TV Graham it changes, it cuts away to, a, to an image of Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, at which point your youngest says, Daddy! <laughs> um, now, I've seen both what you and Boris Johnson look like. Would you care to elaborate on the situation that unfolded in this Instagram video? Well, I, I personally don't see the uh, the comparison, other than maybe we both share a, a, a like for um, not combing our hair but I, I i can't imagine I, I can imagine there are a few children in the uk shouting uh, daddy at the tv when boris johnson comes on so <laughs> uh, <laughs> sophie's not alone in that uh, but i hope there's nothing in it unlike the others <laughs> i just i thought it was adorable because it, it was actually your wife her mom right 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so I just like the idea that then she looks at the camera, which I'm assuming was you, and was just like, oh, well, I want him to be included. Well, that's obviously daddy. And it worked really, really well. Because uh, uh, there is the similarity for sure. <laughs> is there? I'm not sure. <laughs> not even a little bit. Right, good, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah for my, <laughs> my, uh, my, my dad that was filming, actually. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I've never been uh, so offended, but also... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite cute at the same time i suppose <laughs> you do make a good point that probably the majority of children in the uk could look to jo- boris johnson and him be their dad maybe i don't know maybe i'm going too far with that one but uh, i do have an anecdote of my own when my youngest daughter was about that age we were watching some uh, national football league coverage on a sunday and uh, a-, a player called tom brady came on the screen at which point my daughter pointed at the screen and said look there's daddy and I was like, That'll yeah, I, I will take that comparison, young lady. Yeah, I will take that. I will accept that. It's a bit a bit better than Boris Johnson, I would I would uh, contend there. Yes, I would go along with that. I, I'll take Tom Brady, although, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe uh, politically uh, there are comparisons to be made there from uh, what Tom Brady's locker said, said about him a few years ago. But yes. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, they're spun from the same yarn, uh, Boris and uh, and um, and Tom Brady. Both quite good at very rough tackling, as we've seen from Boris Johnson playing in those charity <laughs> games as well. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, I should add that my, my daughter's first two words were this week, and they were uh, pointing at me and saying, Mino Raiola. And I don't really know what to make of that one, but uh, as long as we're uh, talking about uh, un- unflattering comparisons, I'll go with that one. <laughs> were you? Did you have your shirt unbuttoned all the way and your gold chain on? Were you in the hot? Tub? Is that what and, it was? And, and I was speaking into four cell phones simultaneously. Yes. <laughs> and did she did she say just like me no, or was it the proper the chant the me no? <laughs> She's not that advanced. <laughs> Give let's, it a few let's draw the line somewhere. Come on. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to talk about one, at least one of Mino's clients in the first game we're going to deal with, uh, ladies and gents. Liverpool against Manchester United, the league leaders against the champions. Uh, the last time this game uh, was a game which in which there were two title challenges was 2008-09, if my memory serves me correct. And now this is the game where Manchester City won the title, maybe? The best, the, uh, the best description I saw of this game was Gagan depressing. Now, I've seen a lot of people on, on, on socials saying, you know, this was an intriguing battle. This was a tactical affair. But I thought this was boring and rubbish. Who cares to prove me wrong? Taylor, do you care to prove me wrong? Um, not like fully prove you wrong. I would just say that I thought it was more engaging than I expected it to be. I think because both teams were trying to do a couple different little things, but then also had obvious vulnerabilities for Liverpool not having a center back in the team for mm. Manchester United, having Paul Pogba on the right wing. I think we alluded to that already. So there was some like some interesting nuance to it. Bruno playing in various positions at various points. Uh, I, so I thought that was sort of like captivating, but I think even to your point, I'm sort of reaching for like, oh, there was this interesting and this interesting thing. I think overall, Nilna was kind of expected because it seems to be the way these sorts of games have gone this season, but still a little underwhelming for sure. Yeah, if, if, I thought there's, the lack of quality in the final third was quite telling. That lack of final pass from both teams seemed to be quite evident. Mm-hmm. Both teams being too cautious. And you mentioned there sort of the, uh, the the various positions that Bruno was in. I think Pogba was moved around a little bit and he went central towards the end. And and, and at the other end for Liverpool, um, that front three just not quite firing at the moment. Graham, do you have anything to say about the, 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 the respective front lines of these teams and how they didn't quite get it on in this game? Yeah, both both disappointing in, in the final third. To be honest, I, I did I didn't think it was a boring game. It wasn't on the scale of the Manchester Derby earlier in the season, which which mm-hmm. really was a, a dull mm-hmm. game. Just because it felt like 
both teams were one good pass away from being through on goal. Um, in the first half, it felt like Thiago was was pulling the strings for Liverpool. I think United were a bit fortunate that, that he was a bit rusty and that his, his decision-making was a little bit off because he was taking up a lot of good positions. And had it not been for the individual performances of uh, Lindelof and, and, and Luke Shaw in particular against uh, Mohamed Salah, Liverpool probably would have been in a, in a couple of times in, in that first half. And then in the second half, the, the roles were kind of reversed and it felt like Manchester United were a good pass away from being in behind that, that Liverpool defence. And again, it was an individual performance of, of Fabinho in their case that that stopped Rashford and, and, and Fernandes and, and Martial from getting in behind more often. Um, Liverpool's attack, I think, is a, is a really interesting case at the moment because for all the discussion that of, of their defence and the injuries they've had and how they need to sign a centre-back, it's actually their, their forward line that's letting them down at the moment. They've, they've, they've now gone three Premier League games in a row with, without uh, scoring, which is the, the first time a Liverpool team's done that in the league since 2005. And when you consider the, the attacking talent they have, it's, it's, it's a bit of a mystery. I just wonder how much um, Trent Alexander-Arnold's poor form is actually having an impact on the forward line just because Liverpool are so reliant on the fullbacks. Mm. And Klopp was actually furious with his positioning throughout the game. He, and particularly in the first half, you could hear him shouting to Alexander-Arnold. So I just wonder if that's a supply line that's been cut off to the to the forward players. Obviously, Van Dijk is another a supply line he likes to angle uh, long balls into Salah in particular. He's gone at the moment. So... It, there's a bit of analysis to be done there and what's happening with, with Liverpool's attack at the moment because something's not right. Bernie, yeah. Bernie Roney uh, wrote a really good piece for The Guardian uh, talking about their attack. He refers to it as their their tepid attack. And I think uh, his argument, which I would agree with, is that when you have some of the defensive swaps that you have to make with Henderson and Fabinho in there, Shakiri is obviously not the like out-and-out first-choice starter, even Thiago to some extent. So I think having different faces in there doing different things or maybe not being as adept at some of the things as other players might be means you don't have the fluidity to the press that they want. You don't have the fluidity to the passing sequences that they normally would have if they're at full strength. And I do think that explains a little bit, at least, that if you're used to, let's say, your center back stepping high, Virgil van Dijk winning the ball, playing a 30-yard pass and we're away, maybe Henderson's not going to do it as quickly or as dominantly. Uh, Fabinho maybe the same a little bit. And so uh, I do kind of buy into that idea that if you don't have that fluidity in the buildup and that sort of awareness of the combinations that you need to make, it does slow things down a little bit. And then I think Manchester United sort of set themselves up to slow Liverpool down as well and then didn't really capitalize upon that the few times they had opportunities to counter. Yeah, there was a, there was some some pacing stuff going on, wasn't it? Even like the throw-ons, was it just me or were they like taking the time with those Manchester United oh, or not taking their time and getting them wrong? That was like the one <laughs> knock against Luke Shaw was his foul throw at the end of the game. Yeah. Oh yeah, well, that's that's another one, isn't it? It's, uh, Luke Shaw. It's not often you get to uh, heap praise on him, and uh, certainly he was getting that. It was impressive, not just um, defensively but going forward as well, and sort of didn't do that Luke Shaw thing of fading after an hour, which I thought was quite <laughs> impressive for for him when I'm damning him with faint praise there of course but uh, going back to that point you're making about Liverpool it is a good point a lot of people picking on that front three and how they're not firing how they don't have that connection anymore perhaps how they really need Jota uh, back back to uh, inspire mm. them a little bit more but it is important that the, the role of the fullbacks uh, that they play to support mm. them and, um, uh, and, and and that middle three as well and Thiago getting a lot of praise guys in this game uh, as he always does and I almost think they go a bit over the top on the commentary yeah. certainly on NBC and the, the praise like 
oh, even the way he hits the ball, it just sounds different. <laughs> it doesn't sound different. He's just hitting the ball, but he does look very <laughs> elegant. I'll agree with that. He does He does have a certain poise to his, like a PLO poise. I, I'm not quite the same, but you know, that sort of, he's different when he hits the ball. Let's give him that. But I thought it was good here that he was dropping deep, almost becoming another uh, centre-back at times to sort of collect the ball. It's just that way he gets out of pressure situations, I think is what's beautiful, isn't it? He sort of turns and can, can find that open pass anywhere. And I thought he was being quite Fernandino, Fernandinho-ish, I've just invented a word, uh, mm. in terms of a lot of, a lot of cheeky fouls on the counter, more than I expected mm-hmm. from Thiago in this one. Uh, Taylor, did you see that? I mean, you know, he's played for Pep. He knows how to do it. Uh, yeah. Yes, I did. And it's amazing that he finishes on no cards. Not to say that he had anything egregious or anything that was, you know, like game changing. Just that, yeah, there were a few different ones in there that maybe like, there's an accumulation argument to be made. But such is life. I do agree with you as well that Tiago has that sort of reverence from commentators that like certain players, I don't know why it is, certain players just get that where it's like they take a sip of water and it's like, oh, the way he took that, like you can just, it was different, the positioning, the the way he sipped. He didn't gulp. It was a, it was a delicate sip, but a consistent stream. Like, yeah, the, certain players get that like elevation in the way they play. Thomas Muller is a little bit like that, that anytime mm. he does anything, maybe that's just because he's so strange on top of it. I'm not really sure. Whereas Tiago just looks terrifying uh, and like he should maybe be like arranging war plans, but also playing midfield. <laughs> Tiago, and I'm, I'm going to drop a name here, but he's one of the nicest professional players I've ever met. I met him on uh, Bayern Munich's tour a few years ago. I interviewed him. Uh, I interviewed him in Chicago and he was very pleasant, very nice to me. And I met him two or three days later in Charlotte in an elevator. Not only did he remember my name, he shook my hand and he was lovely. So I will not accept that he's a... He, he, I suppose hmm. he can look quite terrifying on the field, but he's a lovely, lovely, lovely he- man. He just has that, like, I've been saying it since, like, Bayern, I think, that, like, he he reminds me of Pep Guardiola when Pep yeah. Guardiola was a player. That it just, mm. and, like, wants to experience different things, wants to play in different systems. I think, he's yeah. go- I think he's going to be a manager. I think he's going to be a very good manager. Yeah. And so, but you see that intensity that Pep has, that, like, you could be up 5-0 and a pass goes out of bounds, and he's on you immediately. He's in your face about it. I, I get that same vibe from Thiago, is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. Maybe less violent, more so just... Just like stern looks of authority when you don't do something right. I mean, we've seen him spray a long pass, uh, but have we seen him up against the whiteboard putting X's on it? I mean, that's the real <laughs> test of how, how peppy he is, I suppose, isn't it? Uh, Graham, you, go on, Sorry, Graham. I was just going to mention, with Tiago, you're talking about the number of fouls that he made in the game. Um, just one thing to mention, did you did you think the officials had a, a pretty poor game here, just in general? I mean, there was a, there was a number of things, you know, Tiago should have been yellow carded, and... Mm. Um, the one, the one in the first half, the 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 linesman who was in the United half seemed to be taking ages to raise his flag, which is what I know the officials are told to do now. But then in the Liverpool half, the the, the linesman in that half was yeah. raising his instantly, and then there was an incident at, at the end of half time where I think it's Henderson chips a ball over the top for Manny. Now Lindelof kind of stops play a little bit, so I'm not quite on board with saying that Manny was clean through on goal. But it, the, it's before the one minute of it added time is up. And, and the referee blows straight away. And I, I just felt the officials had a really inconsistent game. Maybe not enough to change the outcome of the match. But yeah, the, the Thiago thing was just one of those one of those things. Yeah. I, I Yeah. I, sorry, Ryan. I, I agree, Graham. And I think this is like what, what I wonder in these moments is like, is this the closed doors aspect of things that you're used to this game? being insanely loud and uh, to give it double reference the, the Barney Roney article was pointing out that like this is where in these sort of 
not dull, but not like exciting nil-nils necessarily. That's where the crowd can have that difference and kind of pull something out. You raise the game or you make the other team respond. And when you don't have that, I'm assuming it impacts the players, but I also assume it impacts the referees as well. And maybe there is a little bit of like when you've got the whole crowd screaming behind you, calls go a certain way, or maybe you want to stamp your authority down. And it just has a different vibe when you don't have that crowd noise. And instead, it's these like loud blasts of the whistle and like, I am exerting my authority, even though no one is really challenging me. And it's very quiet in here. And it's it is an odd vibe that does change things a little bit. That said, maybe the ARs should both have the same system when they're calling offside. That seems like a uh, a given for a game like this. I'm exerting my authority and no one's really challenging me. Sounds like me when I'm looking after my children, actually. So <laughs> I, can, I can relate to that. I'll say that, yeah, I agree with Graham on the, um, on the refereeing here, but not the worst refereeing I think we saw this weekend, as we will go to Spain and maybe uh, identify a little later on. Um, Graham, you mentioned on I think on your Twitter about Fabinho being um, maybe this is his best position back in centre back, and I think you could argue he was arguably the best player for Liverpool. Maybe maybe on the entire pitch, he was very good, and obviously Thiago is very good as well. But I'd maybe give it to Fabinho as well. And also, double question for you, Graham. I'd like to get your opinion. You mentioned one of the fullbacks. How about your boy uh, Robertson on the other flank? Because I noticed him sort of getting into the penalty box fairly unmolested, fairly untracked several times and it was maybe let down by that, you know, final ball, not getting a goal in the end. What did you think of his performance as a fullback as well? So two questions for you, Fabinho and Robertson, go. Yeah, so so first Fabinho, yeah, I, I've been saying it for a, for a few weeks now. I actually think his his best position is, is at centre-back. That's not to say that he's a, a poor central midfielder. Obviously, he's brilliant there, but I just feel like his his career, the way it's going, we, we could see him doing a bit of a Mascherano, even when Van Dijk comes back. I think, obviously, you look through that Liverpool team, and the one, I wouldn't call it a weakness, but the one position where you could say they could they could upgrade is, is possibly Joe Gomez in, in that team. And so if Fabinho, is, if, if he's made that position his own, I, I could see him staying in there, particularly if Thiago is going to be more regularly in that Liverpool midfield going forward. Um, and I thought this was just another performance that, that underlined just how how good he is, just his his organization uh, organizational skills as as a vocal leader, his tracking back, his tackling. He he, he just he, he doesn't look like a midfielder playing at, at centre back like Henderson did, for ex- for example. Um, Andy Robertson, it was I thought it was a pretty frustrating game for him because, as you say, the number of times he was overlapping. On, on the left, and I think there was one chance in particular from Firmino where he he takes the shot when quite clearly the, the pass is, is to Robertson on, on the left side. He's got so much space. And I, I thought that was one thing, particularly in the first half, that, that Liverpool didn't do enough of was exposing that Manchester United right wing, which Pogba was on that right side of that midfield. He's been playing left recently. I thought I, I don't understand why Solskjaer switched that. With I, I think maybe Rashford on the right, and and or um, I guess Rashford was up front, so you put Rashford on the right, Pogba on the left, and Martial up front might have worked a little bit better. But um, it just felt like there was so much space down that right side, and and that is a, still a real weakness of that Manchester United team. You obviously Sancho was, you know, I think everyone expected him to be to fill, to fill that gap in the summer, and it's still a a, a real concern for for my United and and, and Robertson. I can imagine knowing what he's like as a as a person was was must have been pretty frustrated at full time because he this could have been his game this could have been mm. a game where he made a real difference and and Liverpool just overlooked him time and time again. Absolutely yeah, Gra- agree. 
And and oh. Graham, I, I had I had your same confusion about the the Pogba move to the right side. And the only thing I thought in the beginning was it's a thing that we saw Didier uh, Deschamps do with Pogba and the French national team at the World Cup was play him in a four two three one. He's one of those two on the right hand side, and then he can sort of drop in and cover a little bit more. He protects that side and then can arrive late if he wants to. And I thought maybe that's what they're going to go with this sort of like protection on that side. It keeps Andy Robertson a little bit more aware of what's happening. But then at times he was just coming forward and not sitting back. So I don't think that's what they were going for, which then still leaves it a mystery to me, aside from maybe they just thought he's, or Solskjaer thought, he's very big. He can get in behind and kind of muscle off people and, and give us an outlet. I, I don't really know what the goal was there, especially because it did feel like it pulled other people out of position. It was curious, wasn't it? The Manchester United set up, particularly in the, in, in the uh, attacking third, Taylor. I felt like this is a bit like um, backwards land where hot snow falls up and hamburgers eat people. When I look at Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba here, because Bruno looked a bit frustrated, his passing yeah. looked off, like didn't quite have, make it happen from open play. Whereas Pogba, I thought, despite moving around the field and being um, in some interesting positions, I thought he looked pretty good. He looked like he had quite a high energy rate and looked like he had a lot of nice touches in this game. And I thought he looked really more into it than I've seen Pogba uh, lately, I would argue. So it felt like it almost uh, switched mm-hmm. duties in terms of their output, Taylor. Yeah, I think a couple different games we're going to talk about from this weekend, there were instances of you're seeing the number of games that have been played have the impact on players. I think this was one for Bruno Fernandes. We talked a lot about how many games he's been and how important or played and how important he has been for Man United since he signed. But he has also been like their most important player, I would argue, and playing as many games as possible. It does wear down the legs a little bit, and I think you could see that, especially in the second half of this game. I don't think he was effective. There was a couple different times like he has a cross that fails to clear the first defender. He has, I think, a corner that does the same. And it like it, it took my my coach when I was 14 yelling at me that I was tired because I couldn't get the like kick the ball up in the air anymore. He was like, yeah, you're tired. You need a break. That was the first realization of like, oh, when legs are tired, they don't work as well. It took me till I was 14. Uh, and I'm not sure if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has had that same revelation because I do think this was a game in which it's not like for like, certainly, but like Juan Mata is there. You can put him in as a 10. You could try that. You could try different things. You could try Edson Cavani and go with like a 4 2 2 2. I think I got the number of twos right there. So, this, like, it, I'm not even necessarily criticizing uh, Solskjaer because it's no nil. It's a point gained on Liverpool. They certainly weren't doing that with any regularity the last couple seasons. So, I, I think it's not a bad result and it's not bad coaching, but I think there were still questions to be answered from Solskjaer. One of the questions I have for Solskjaer, Taylor, is Edison Cavani. If you say about players getting mis- uh, mm-hmm. fatigued or whatnot, uh, still still only getting these 20, 30-minute cameos in games. And it, it felt like it was screaming out for him at some point in this game. Yeah. Why doesn't he get more play? And I, I, I understand the role that Tony Martial does, but this one felt like this is a Cavani game, did it not? Uh, I mean, I think so. I would say maybe it's the the suspension is probably where like they're kind of like trying to ease him back in. I never fully get why if you have a player who's been out for a few games and then they're brought back in, why you have to ease them in. It seems like they should be raring to go and fully fit. But <laughs> maybe that that's part of it. And then I'm going to assume there was nuance to what he wanted Rashford and Martial to do and how they wanted to combine with Bruno. So maybe it was just a that's like a bridge too far in terms of adding in another unknown component. I don't really think Rashford or Martial did particularly a lot to justify that start uh, or that like the lack of Edson Cavani. 
some of Rashford's decision making still a little bit frustrating. Uh, speaking as a fan on that one, that yeah. like sometimes when he decides to shoot, it's not the best decision. There's the one uh, John Muller uh, did a good tweet thread about this one about when he drives inside, has Martial on one side. I think he has Pogba arriving late and chooses to kind of hold up and look for other options. Nothing comes of it, and that feels like where you see Manchester United's attack not have the kind of fluidity, the ability to combine the way you would like to see them do if you're a Man United fan. And I think the same goes for Liverpool. And I think that kind of explains why this game finished goalless. It did indeed finish goalless. And we've gone quite long on a fairly dull game hmm. here. So let's, uh, let's round it out with a question for you both, gents. Um, Man City now in second place, a 4-0 win over Crystal Palace this same weekend. They've got a game in hand, which could take them top as well. This was a very good result for Man City. Do we see them as the front runner now? Because I, I fail to believe, based on yesterday's game, that I see in either of those teams winning the title. Graham? Um, I'm wary of making any great predictions just the way this season has been. I mean, Spurs were the favourites and then Liverpool were the favourites and then Manchester United were the favourites and now City are apparently the favourites. I, I, I do like how they've built. It seems like there's been more of a process to what Guardiola has done with that team where he, he sorted out the defence first and then they were a little bit more stagnant in, a, in attack and then he moved on to the attack without uh, messing with his defence too much. And it feels like they are building. I do still worry about a la- the lack of a like a true... I know they've got Aguero and Jesus, but Aguero's obviously had injury problems and Jesus' consistency is still an issue for him. So I do wonder whether a lack of a true goal scorer will, will harm them. But the, the, yesterday was a good example of the the how City just win those kind of games at home against Palace. You know, they go 1-0 up and there's just zero doubt in my mind that they're going to win that match and they're probably going to win it comfortably. And I think they've got that over Liverpool and, and Manchester United at the moment where, you know, they go 1-0 up at home even against a team like Crystal Palace and it feels like they could they could concede or drop points still, whereas City don't have... They, there's a security about them at the moment. So um, just, I think they're just favourites, but things things can change, you know, as, as we've seen this season. Taylor, what are your thoughts? And also, can I bring into the conversation Leicester, who are also very much up there in the mix at the moment? Yeah, they are. Uh, third place right now, Leicester? Mm, that's right. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Leicester, we always do this. Uh, like, not we, the three of us, but like at least on the show, it's always a like, yeah, we'll talk about Leicester when we talk about Leicester. And then they keep hanging out in second or third position until like the final game of the season. Uh, yeah, so I would not write off Leicester, but I, I think it probably is Man City and Liverpool uh, in my mind still as a pair. And I think to go back to one of Graham's early points, because with this Liverpool team, even with the like issues we talked about and some of the player issues they're dealing with, there's still that feeling of at any given moment they could score. Andy Robertson has a very good cross. I forget who it was at the back post who couldn't quite put it on frame. But even just that moment of kind of out of nowhere, it's this perfect pass. And if it was a little bit better execution, it's 1-0. And I think Liverpool have that ability to spring those attacks and get those goals. We didn't see it in this game, but we do see it very often. City certainly have the same. So I would say those two are maybe the ones that I feel like are most likely to challenge for the title. And maybe, yeah, we'll throw in a Leicester as well. Man United, there are still just so many issues around like or question marks for me at least around what they're trying to do how they're trying to play who they want to play where and when that I don't think you can have that same level of predictability you need yeah it's all we're at the halfway point of the season now and we still got no clear idea there's no two front runners like we usually have in this Premier League season I'm loving it I'm loving that it's so (laughs) up in the air at the moment so long may that continue uh (laughs) We're going to talk about Wolves against West Brom very shortly. Big Sam rides again. But first, a little message from our sponsors. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Gentlemen, if you got up early on Saturday morning, you will have seen Wolves take on West Brom, the Black Country Derby, a real Midlands affair this one was. And it was Sam Allardyce who came out on top with his first win with West Bromwich Albion. Uh, 3-2 this game finished. Uh, it, was, it was a lot more exciting than I expected, guys. Uh, Grant, did you have any initial thoughts on this game? I thought that um, West Brom look a little bit more improved every time I see them. The passing looks a bit better. They're looking, and to use a Big Sam cliche, they're looking better organised as well. They were certainly uh, uh, a more exciting prospect for me in this game. Yeah, and, and when I first saw this fixture, so this was the, the early kickoff in, on, on Saturday, which is obviously the, the first game of the of the game week. And um, so I remember checking that what game was the first game on. on There's always a little bit of more anticipation for that game because, as I say, it's the first game of the game week. And seeing that it was Wolves-West Brom, my uh, heart sank a little bit. I didn't expect ah. too much from this game, but it, it was a, a really entertaining uh, encounter. As you say, uh, a derby between two teams that haven't been in the same league for for nine years, so it was a bit of a shame that there there were no no fans um, at, at Molyneux for this one. I did enjoy um, Matthias Pereira um, after he scores his two penalties, putting his his fingers <laughs> in his ears to swathes of empty seats in the stands. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, you know, that might just be his his customary celebration, but uh, in COVID times, it kind of maybe re- loses its its relevance a little bit, but. Um, yeah, I thought it was very impressive from 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 West Brom in the way that they managed to, to bounce back. They were without um, Sam Johnson, who has been very good for them this season. Connor Gallagher, another player who's been very good for for them this season. And there, there were um, hallmarks of of Allardyce in there already. Um, that you know, in the way that they the players were throwing themselves on the line, winning second balls. But there was also a, a high press from them, which is not something you would mm. necessarily associate with a, a, an Allardyce team. They were quite quick to move the ball when they had it in the, in the forward areas they had they had runners um you know given options in behind and, and down the channel so yes Allardyce has done the, the big the big Sam thing by making them tougher to beat and and so on but I, I did think this performance showed that he's maybe willing to unleash this team a little bit more than maybe he, he has been in the case in the past with some of his teams Taylor, this was uh, two penalties and a long throw set uh-huh. piece goal for Big Sam. Was this peak Big Sam for you? Oh, it definitely was. It absolutely was. And and from like in a number of different ways. Like, do either of you remember seeing him be particularly animated in this game? Like, we saw a lot of different shots of him on the sideline. I feel like most of it was him sort of aggressively chewing gum. <laughs> is I think the the extent of the energy. Do either of you remember any other moments? Yeah, what, I'll you, say I, I think. 
the full time, and I think there was after one of the penalties, I think he got up and did a couple of claps and sort of shouted, okay. and you could see him swearing a little bit. But so, one of the most entertaining aspects of this game was the cutaways to Big Sam. I think yeah. there was a point where Wolf scored, and he was slouched so much, it was like mm-hmm. he can't get a good view of the pitch right now because he's <laughs> basically lying down in one of those sort of Recaro fancy car seats that they sit uh-huh. on. It looks it, he, he's a very entertaining man, whether he means it or not, on the sidelines, Taylor. So, and I forgot after the the flick on header goal, there is definitely him saying it's about effing time uh I, yeah. I just i think that like there's something to be said for a manager who's been through all of the relegation fights he has that is just kind of like calm like you don't because because i think there's probably an inclination if you're a new manager in a relegation fight to cheer and be really loud and be in everybody's face but it's really hard to maintain that and as soon as you lose that energy i think your team sees that there's something to be said for just being like it'll be fine We'll figure it out. No <laughs> sense really worrying about it. And let lack of panic, I think, can then just allow you to uh, execute the set pieces. And we definitely saw that in this game. I don't know if it was if it was featured on a, on American TV, but at full time he shouts to his players, "No hugging, no kissing," um, which is in <laughs> reference to the um, yeah uh, government official uh, kind of criticizing Premier League footballers for hugging and kissing while celebrating goals. But I I like to think that he that anyway, and not yeah. in, from the touchline and in, in non pandemic times, you know, like no emotion. For that's, <laughs> you know, oh, I, I like to extend it to like his wedding day. That was like no touching, no kissing. That was that was part of. It as well. I I do like I have some sympathy for my late co-host uh, Daryl Grove for two reasons from this one uh, because he was long a believer that Big Sam would be the solution to England that England overcomplicated things they went for Capello when they didn't need to they tried different things when they didn't need to. They need Big Sam to understand the English game, understand how these players like fundamentally know how to play. And when Big Sam was appointed, it really was the most like, this is it. Like, this is my thesis statement. Daryl wasn't big on like advocating like uh, theories or positions. And this was one that he was like, I'm, I'm sure it's going to happen. And then like a month later, Big <laughs> Sam is, is forced to resign, essentially. And now he's managing Wolves' arch rival. I just don't think it would have been his favorite game. Uh, but I, <laughs> I think there must be some begrudging respect because Big Sam... I, finds a way to win, and that's exactly what uh, West Brom did uh, on the day, uh, much to the chagrin of Wolverhampton. He is a winner, and lest we forget, he has a 100% record with the England national team, and he'll always <laughs> have that. Um, <laughs> Sam Allardyce, actually, after the game, uh, I, I, interesting quote uh, that he gave. I'm only asking the players to improve their fitness technique and gameplay by 1%. <laughs> when you add it up, that 1%, it becomes significant. Do you see? Is it 1% they need? Or is it a little bit more than one percent that West Brom need right now, Graham? Uh, yeah, a bit more. I the way I hadn't actually heard that quote. The way you were going with it, I thought it was going to be like the David Moyes quote from when he was at Manchester United, where he said, "Yeah, we were good apart from our passing, our shooting, our dribbling, our crossing," <laughs> <laughs> which is how I thought you were go- you, the way you were going with that. But yes, they they certainly need a a, a little bit more than 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 one percent. I think that's for sure. But I, one player I thought, um, and it would be remiss of me. Not to mention him just because he is I am arguably uh, my favourite player ever because of uh, the role he played for Sterling Albion and getting us promoted a number of years ago. But Robert Snodgrass, I thought, made mm. a big difference for for West Brom um, in this game. And, and this kind of strikes me as a very Sam Allardyce player, kind of um, a little bit unfashionable, 
aging, obviously getting on in his career, but can still certainly uh, do a job. And yeah, as I said, just like to remind everyone that he got his first break at uh, Sterling Albion. So you're welcome, <laughs> uh, bottom half Premier League teams. <laughs> oh, I feel thoroughly reminded by that. And uh, yeah, it seemed like a sort of underwhelming, under the radar move, Snodgrass coming coming from West Ham. But it, it, yeah, I think it's been good so far, certainly. Uh, Carl Bartley was very good in this as well, wasn't he? Getting the assist and sort of very good in the back line. And Ajayi as well, who... Did you... Did you see the part, Ryan, uh, when I think it's it's Wolves like attacked in the left flank? It's their it's their earliest best chance, uh, and it's the one where oh, I think it's the handball shout uh, that we can talk about in a second. But yeah, I, I agree with you about Bartley, but I just felt so bad for uh, O'Shea, the right back, who I think is like slow to react to that threat. And when Bartley gets up, I, I went back and watched it like four times to figure out what had happened because he gets up and it's when there's the handball shout. And for a minute, I thought he was angry at the official or at the Wolves players. He unloads on O'Shea and there's that like level of intensity to that defense that I think you have to have <laughs> that I'm going to assume is at least uh, a an aspect of Big Sam coming in but I enjoyed that intensity from Bartley for sure so you touched on the handball there when uh, when Wolves were one nil down I believe mm-hmm. uh, there was a handball by Kieran Gibbs that wasn't given it was quite close range it seemed to touch both his hands I don't know if you call that a natural or unnatural position, but I was a little bit flummoxed as to why that wouldn't have been given. Uh, Taylor, do you have any logical reason as to why that was not a penalty? I think so. I don't know if you'll love my answer, but it's it's essentially that when the ball is up in the air and uh, West Brom goalkeeper uh, David Button goes to collect it here or like to try to punch it clear, he doesn't really do that, obviously, hence the scramble in the box and the shots for penalty, but he does get hands to it and he does redirect the trajectory of the ball. And from there, it strikes the hand. And I think the argument would be that because there's that redirection, even it's from teammate to teammate, the player can't react in time. If he doesn't get a hand to it, it just drops down. I think it's a penalty but because there is that little change in the trajectory of the ball you then argue I think if you're the official yeah I saw it but there's nothing the player could have done and I think as long as that's kind of your initial thought going in then VAR isn't going to change that it definitely looked like it should have been but I think that little touch was the difference you're right I didn't like that answer uh Graham you got anything else (laughs) I I just don't know what a handball is anymore and I'm not even joking about that you know there was a handball I think it was in the Manchester United Burnley game where I was like I'm sure I've seen penalties given for that earlier in the season because they then changed the, the interpretation, didn't they, midway through the season? And now I genuinely don't know what a handball is and and and, and isn't anymore. So that's how uh, they want it to be, Graham. They want you confused. You're not supposed to know the specifics, so you just have to guess. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone in not knowing what the rules are of this sport anymore. Thank you, Graham, because I, I certainly feel the same way. Uh, Wolves. How about we talk about Wolves for a little bit as well? Um, here's a question for you both. Who gets more points the rest of this season, West Brom or Wolves? Because Wolves not in great form at the moment. Uh, this is their ninth game in a row going behind first. They've got no wins in six, one win in their last nine. Uh, you know, Jimenez out, no sign, no apparent sign of new signings coming in. It just seems like their identity has gone away from me. Whether it's the switch from back three to four, whether it's losing certain players, and it's it, it just they're just not convincing as an entity anymore. I don't see that Nuno identity in them anymore. And I, I don't know, uh, Graham, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, they're definitely going through a, a, a difficult moment right now. I, I, I would still say Wolves will, will get more points than, than, than West Brom this season. But I, I think the fact that we're even considering that question shows just what kind of 
a slump they're in right now. I mean, I think they are in a bit of a, a transition this season. I, I felt it was going to be a transitional season anyway, and then the Raul Jimenez thing happened, where obviously he is the the apex of of, of their attack. I would argue, along with uh, probably Connor Cody, their their most important player. So having him gone for for a, quite a prolonged spell has has really set them back. I think they have a lot of players, young players as well, who are who are just finding their their feet in the Premier League. So obviously. Mm-hmm. Fabio uh, Silva, who's, who actually scored in this game. And I love the way he, the best bit about his goal was the way he kind of eased the defender off the ball and just had yeah. the awareness to take a step to the right and realise I've got the time and 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 the strength um, to to create the space for myself here. I, th- I thought that was really impressive. And I think he's getting better with every game he plays because initially in his first couple of games, I, I wasn't so sure about him, but now I'm, I'm starting to think he looks the part. But it's not just him as well. It's players like Daniel Podens and and. and and Pedro Neto. These are all players who I expect will get better, but right now they're not quite consistent enough to do it on a game-to-game basis. So I don't think there's too much to be worried about with Wolves. It just feels like a little bit of a fallow season, and I do expect a lot of the players that they've got will get better in seasons to come. I would agree yeah. with everything Graham said. Uh, and I would add that, like, I think, Randy, your point, the, the, the penalties and some of the sort of silly fouls given up in silly moments, like, are, are, are on Wolves, are on Nuno. And, and I do think that is probably a little bit of a cause for concern that you don't have the stability because their game plan has historically been sit back, absorb that pressure, frustrate your opponent, look to counter. And once you've gotten that first goal, now the sort of game is in your control. It doesn't build in, uh, concede penalties uh, multiple times in a game and have difficulty tracking players on set pieces. There's a level of awareness that you have to have that does seem like it's slipping. But I still echo what Graham said, that with all that said, I think West Brom will get more points than they have uh, lately. But I think Wolves still get more overall. Okay, that sounds about fair. I think I agree with most of what you guys have said there. And I, I, I agree on Fabio Silva slash uh, Timothy Chalamet being, uh, c- coming into himself <laughs> there and... For a small guy, he's really quite strong of getting defenders out of the way as well. I think that's very impressive with him. And I liked uh, Neto being in what I would consider the false left wing back because it, <laughs> see, that was kind of his position, but also it wasn't. So uh, yeah. that that was an interesting use of him. But uh, Willy Bolly had quite a game, didn't he? Uh, getting a sort of <laughs> an early shot on, on, on frame as well. And then that amazing back heel assist for the equaliser, giving away a penalty and getting a goal as well. This was Willy Bolly FC today, wasn't it? Or, or in this game. A fancy football roller coaster, I think they call that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the gambit, the full gambit. Very impressive stuff from him. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about this game before we move on, gents? Uh, uh, Taylor, anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Graham? No, nope, I think we can move on. Let's move on very shortly. We're going to go continental right after this short message from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
All right, gents, we go again. Let's go Continental. Uh, before we get into a couple of the matches we're going to discuss here, I'd like to uh, uh, bring your attention to our new weekly segment on the Weekend Review. Hop in with the hopper. Here comes the hopper stepper. <laughs> Matthew Hopper scoring once again for Schalke. Not just scoring, not just getting four goals in two games for the Gelsenkirchen side, but getting a nutmeg on Andre Franco's goalkeeper. Not bad at all. Hey, Schalke lost the game 3-1, but Matthew yeah. Hopper once again. Wowie zowie. Taylor, are you even more excited now I, I mean again it's another like it's a tight angle he megs the goalkeeper as you said but it's a good opportunistic finish it feels like the type of chance that an American striker tends to get uh, when it comes to more competitive matches so I, I will continue to enjoy him especially given the the relative lack of options when it comes to that out and out striker for for the U.S. men's national team that made me happy as did I'll transition us into uh, the Austrian Bundesliga I'm assuming that's what we are all planning to talk about today yeah of course Graham, yeah. lots of thoughts Oh, yeah. Loads of them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Brandon Aronson uh, getting his debut goal for RB Salzburg. uh, Like, I wasn't really expecting him to necessarily come in that quickly. That he did is very exciting. I also wasn't expecting that league to look as physical as it does. Maybe it was just the weird camera angle and the weird field. But uh, lots of of tackles, lots of being knocked around, but still scoring a goal. And I think also megging the goalkeeper. So two two megs from two Americans on the weekend, both for goals. I will take that for sure. Yeah, that Brendan Arison one was a nice one to wake up to on Saturday with his European debut there. I believe it was a friendly. It was SK Vorwärtssteier who were the the opponents in this one. And it did look like it took place on sort of like a wreck field in the middle of a city yeah. centre. It had like these tower blocks all around it. So uh, not, not not the uh, the lightest of stages, the brightest of stages, I should say, for Brendan Aronson there. But very, very encouraging for him uh, coming over uh, to the continent. Uh, another continental match we should mention, uh, which was on Friday... Uh, O Clasico. I don't know how to pronounce that properly in Portuguese, but Benfica uh, and, and uh, Sporting taking on each other in uh, the O Clasico 1-1 this one finished. Uh, Graham, did you catch any of that? Yeah, I did. I, I, I watched the highlights. I have to say I didn't, I didn't watch it live. It was, it was an entertaining match, it seemed, from the highlights. It featured one of the worst tackles I've, I've, I've seen this season. And actually, the, the, the referee gives Mehdi a yellow card, first of all, for a, a, t- a studs-up tackle down the back of, of Nicolas Otamendi's legs. And, 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 and watching the, the highlights, I'm thinking that surely that is a red. Indeed, the VAR is used to, to give a red, but it does raise a question how it was missed, uh, missed first of all. And one, one of the other players who impressed me was uh, Alex Grimaldo, who's the first goal for, ben, uh, for Benfica is, is magnificent. It's a one-touch passing play around the corner, assist from Severovic, I think it was. And then Grimaldo takes it first time. And he's one of these players who has been linked with with a move to the Premier League for, for so long. He's a bit of a Nico Gaetan in, 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 in that sense. But you look at his his uh, statistics for a uh, fullback. I know he's playing a, wing, a winger in this game, but he tends to play fullback. And, and yeah, it feels like he should probably be on the radar of, of a lot of big clubs. So so he he impressed me in this, in, in this game and it, it was an entertaining game as a whole. Good stuff. And I should add, I just said it was sporting. Of course it wasn't. This was El Clasico and it was uh, in Porto, this one against Benfica. This was not a Lisbon-based derby. I should and make right- that clear. Ryan, while we're while we're calling you up on things, you said this was like one of the most important games, uh, oh, Classico. But I, I believe the most important game for Portugal is uh, when Wolves A plays Wolves B. Uh, I think <laughs> I am correct in saying that Wolves started six Portuguese players uh, in their game versus West Brom. I think five Portuguese players in total in O Classico. So yeah, Wolves, uh, the most important team for the Portuguese national team right now. Uh, it is confirmed. So they always say in Portugal when El Clasico happens and when the Lisbon derby happens as well, like the whole nation sort of stops and every, mm-hmm. everyone goes and watches this game. Do you think that happens for Wolves games now? 
on the regular. Well. <laughs> almost certainly. Almost certainly. That's definitely the case. And I'm sure our Portuguese uh, listeners and fans would love that statement. <laughs> All righty then. Why don't we move over to Italy and the Derby d'Italia. Inter Milan taking on Juventus here. Inter now joint on 40 points uh, at, the, at the summit of Serie A with uh, their uh, Serie, uh, San Siro co-tenants Milan Juve now in fifth uh, I think they remain in fifth actually six points off of the pace after this one finished 2-0 to Inter this one seemed like one-way traffic for Inter and um, Graham sort of a very different game to the one we looked at last week against Roma quite a different Inter team in that they just seemed like they were bullying their way through this one yeah I thought this was Inter's best performance of, of the season so far everything just just clicked for them. Um, as you say, a very different sort of performance to the one they, they put in against Roma, where they, they invited too much pressure on top of themselves. What, one thing I would say is obviously they had the 2-0 the leads going into the latter stages of this match, so it was maybe a little bit easier to, to play their, their their natural game. But yeah, it, it was good timing for them to remember how to, to keep a clean sheet against, on paper, at least one of the, the most dangerous attacks in, in, in Serie A at the moment. And yeah, um, yeah, this was if, if this game really felt like a bit of a changing of the, of the guard in Serie. I, I know there's a long way to go in the season, and Juventus in the last couple of years have have kind of timed their charge well towards the end of the season. But it, it just feels like the two Milan clubs this season are, are are quite a bit better than than Juventus, and as you say, the the two of them tied on points at the at the, at the top of the table, and and mm-hmm. and on this basis, it does feel like there's a little bit of a gap between Inter and and, and Juventus at, at least. Exciting times in Serie A as well. Not only the Premier League, where it's a bit up in the air as to who's going to win this darn thing. Uh, Antonio Conte said after this one, Tete, we were close to perfect in this game, which is a pretty good assessment if you're a player under Conte to hear from him, I would imagine. It just I just really enjoyed watching this Inter side. Yeah. As I say, dominant from start to finish. It almost felt like the, the Conte, sort of Chelsea bullying their way through games the way they did. And apart from sort of uh, Lotaro uh, having some finishing that had much to be desired at certain points it was a pretty spotless performance the defending which we called up last week seemed to be much more competent here you could even argue they didn't really get into top gear in this game but still didn't they swatted Juventus away which is a a strange thing to happen yep yeah I mean I guess Andrea Pirlo's 7,000 page thesis didn't cover the long ball uh that that's (laughs) a thing that you maybe would have thought that he would have spent some more time with but I I really I like watching Juve trying to set up to defend uh, like Inter taking uh, taking goal kicks and trying to build out of the back, they would commit. Juve would commit numbers forward, sometimes five, sometimes six players, and it was this strange. Like I'm trying to come up with an analogy and struggling, but it's like if I were springing a surprise attack on Ryan, like an ambush on Ryan, and he's a mile away, and I jump out from the trees, like ha ha ambush, and you're like, okay, well. I've got a mile to figure things out. I think I'm going to be okay. Like they kept kind of like, ha we've got everybody in our positions. And then it's like the idea of Samir Handanovic being able to complete a 40-yard pass, I think never factored into their equations. And so just the vulnerability to like direct passes into feet when trying to limit the opponent building out didn't really make much sense to me. And it kept happening. It wasn't just that great goal, uh, the really great ball from Bastoni in for Barella. It was a number of different times. There were just long balls into feet of Lukaku, into Martinez, even just over the top. Juve just kept having these gaps, and I don't know why they weren't able to deal with it, aside from Pirlo maybe just had other things to try to figure out on the fly and couldn't even focus on that. 
Yeah, Conte. It's, I just think he he just handled this one really well. Uh, yep. The passing, it was no sideways passing. It was all like really direct stuff that seemed to be going on in this game. Uh, into really good on the counter attack, and Romelu Lukaku deserves his dues for this one as well. Just whatever press Juventus were attempting, just he's just completely impervious to it. Re- really good stuff from him. And uh, Nicola Barella uh, was a was a yeah. was a rock star in this game, getting um, the cross for the header for the first goal and a, and, a, and the finish for the second as well, uh, and assisting the goal for him. And as you mentioned, Bastoni with that incredible uh, mm. pass. That's not Italian. Uh, <laughs> for, the, for, for that really nice second goal as well. Uh, that passing range he's showing is very, very impressive as well as being sort of a brick wall of a defender there. Um, yeah, I mean, Graham, can, can, you, can you even give any positives for Juve from this game? Because I didn't see very many. Um, I mean, maybe start with Ronaldo. He, he still sort of went missing in this game, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did. I, I am I am struggling for for positives from this game. No, nobody from... punched anybody in the head. That's a positive. <laughs> yeah. No red cards sure. in this one for Juve. Sure. Yeah, I mean the the number of fireworks before kickoff kind of <laughs> yeah. delayed the pain for Juventus, which I suppose was a, a, a slight. Uh, you know more fireworks than Sydney at New Year's Eve before kickoff. I, I don't know. I, I, dif- difficult to, to to figure out a positive for, for Juventus because front to back it looked a bit of a mess. Their midfield is is a mess uh, right now. You know Aaron Ramsey in a in a wide left position. I'm not mm. really sure that's working. Adrian Rabio. Um, you know I'm sorry. You remember a few weeks ago, uh, Ryan, we talked about Axel Witzel, and he's just one of these players. I'm not entirely sure what he offers. It's not that he's mm. a bad player. It's just, I don't know what he brings. I think Rabio is, is kind of in that category for me. And I just think they're, they're lacking someone to anchor that midfield, which surely is what our tour was, was brought to do. And yet it feels like Juventus, despite getting a, I think whenever, when that, that swap deal with Barcelona was done, everyone felt Juventus had actually ended up with the, with the better player, or at least the long-term better player. And, and it doesn't look like that at all now. It, it feels like they've, that's weakened them a little bit. And then the back two, you know, Chiellini, Benucci, great players have had their time, but against the, the fast runners and, and, and uh, Lukaku and Barella and Lataro Martinez, they just looked old and slow and past yeah. it and, and to be honest that feels a little bit like that sums up this Juventus team they're in need of a of a new generation to, to come in and, and and take them forward I think you're I right it does seem like uh, so, sorry Taylor just it seems like no, a bit of a mishmash going on with this Juventus team or you can almost put it as Moyes van Hal Man United and it's different part different components going on in this team bit of a Frankenstein I suppose is what I'm trying to say and that mid, I think you're right to point out that midfield not very creative at all and when you looked at the back line so often it was so stretched but also so narrow at the same time it was a back four but for most of the part it seemed like a back three because at least one of the fullbacks was had gone on walk about walk about like Danilo uh, or uh, Frobotta on the other side had sort of <laughs> MIA and like when you looked at that second goal there was so much space between the defenders for for uh, for that uh, Bastoni pass to go through as well. It just seemed like yeah they're getting it wrong on all areas of the field. And I don't whether whether uh, you know they're tired, they're fatigued as well, they're lacking depth. Whether it's just that Ronaldo had an off day and you know he usually tight uh, you know papers these things over. I don't know, Taylor. What did you want to say about it? Uh, I wanted to say like this is going to sound very harsh because I don't wear contacts. But to Graham's point, like that Chiellini Bonucci partnership, it, it is automatically like, oh yeah, those guys are locked down. You're going to struggle with them, and that Bonucci has to stop playing inside two minutes because his contact is messed up. Like I, my, my wife wears contacts. I know that's really painful, and I'm not trying to be critical of him for that. Other than just to say that there is something about like like it's when uh, Drago starts bleeding in Rocky Four. It's like, see, he's a man. He's not a machine. You could beat him. Like yeah, he's got bad eyes. You're fine. Uh, and and there, that level of like frailty, I think. 
think, was on display, especially with Frabata and Ramsey and, to some extent, Pirlo's game plan. Because I think they were really concerned about Ashraf Hakimi uh, being the... Uh, if Pedro Neto was the false left wing back, then Ashraf Hakimi is definitely a false right wing back because he's attacking a lot. And for that first goal for the Fidal header, Hakimi gets that ball, cuts inside, drives at the defense. And I think three or four different Juve players collapse on him. And that leaves Arturo Vidal open. There's the outlet pass to him. And then it's a couple quick passes. He gets on the end of the cross and it's a goal. But sort of Juve, I think in my mind, being so concerned about Ashraf Hakimi and what he was doing, they were almost too concerned. And then they lost focus on everything else they needed to be doing. And and that's, again, where I think Pirlo's game plan was just not ideal. I think going with uh, a four-four-two, roughly the formation against a midfield three, again, also going to cause problems. And I think that was on display, that Juve really struggled to build through the center. They couldn't really get much going. They had trouble, I think, connecting even regularly between Rabio and Benthamcourt. I think mm. there were some changes that, that were attempted by Pirlo in the second half when McKinney comes in. But even then, it felt like that midfield was just sort of routinely bypassed. And I just think from start to finish, they weren't set up for this one. Maybe it was the fireworks. Graham, I don't know where you watched this one, but for people watching on ESPN here in the States, uh, the commentators seemed increasingly perplexed and frustrated by the amount of fireworks and the, the sheer volume of them. So maybe that was it too. Maybe Juve were just so rattled by that they couldn't find their game. Well, I think I think the real answer to that, the, the fireworks situation, Taylor, is that into went to uh, the Stadio Olimpico last weekend and they saw what, right, this team have got all the small things by Blink-182 when they <laughs> score. We need to up our game. What can we do that will uh, supersede Blink-182 being played uh, when we score? Fireworks. Fireworks <laughs> is the answer there. Um, before we move on from this yeah. game to our final game we're going to look at, uh, I, I like to pose these impossible questions to you both and I've done it already in this show, but oh who lasts longer as manager of their respective team? Is it Andrea Pirlo? Or is it Frank Lampard? Bit of an NYCFC alumni question for you there. Taylor, why don't I put this impossible question to you first? I, I will stall briefly by saying that uh, when I first saw your, your running order with this question in it, was very late at night last night, and I did happen to check Twitter right before I went to bed, and Pirlo was trending. And so for a minute, I thought like, oh, we already have our answer. Pirlo's been sacked. I, as far as I know, he has not been. I think Pirlo lasts longer just because... Uh, he's he's more recent there, and I think there's more of a vested interest in showing, oh, no, this guy is the heir apparent. He is a successor. successor. He's got his thesis. He knows what he's doing. We're going to give him time, and especially since they didn't give Sarri time, I feel like maybe there's a little bit more leniency for a club legend. That said, uh, Antonio Conte, also a club legend. You never know. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but I think <laughs> for Frank Lampard, uh, maybe there's less of like forgiveness at this point, and maybe with a few other big names that could be available, maybe just maybe Roman Abramovich more likely to pull the trigger. So I think Pirlo gets longer than Lampard. All right, Graham? I am going to go the other way. I'm going to say Lampard gets longer than Pirlo just because I think Juventus are are utterly ruthless. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Sarri there because somewhere um, Rachel yep. Sarri must be sitting back, lighting a cigarette and looking at the mess that Chelsea and Juventus are in this You're season, right. feeling pretty smug about himself. Um, but yeah, I just I just think Juventus are further away from where they should be than where Chelsea are. And That's probably fair. Juventus are, have shown they're pretty ruthless in in, in the past, and 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 so I I just feel also my wee prediction is that Max Allegri is still out of work, and I know he's also supposed to be on Chelsea's radar, but it just feels like he might be a safe pair of hands for Juventus to go to the end of the season with. So just a wee prediction there. 
Oh, the race for Allegri. I like the sound of that one. And I can't picture Sari, by the way, without thinking of David Squires drawing him in the Guardian with, uh, you know, three cigarettes in his mouth, one up his uh, <laughs> nose and a couple coming out of his ears as well. <laughs> the, the, uh, the constant need for nicotine, that man, it never ceases to amaze me. I do actually side with Graham on that. So I think uh, I think Lampard gets longer, if if only for sentimentality reasons that Chelsea seem to... Well, they're, they're quite ruthless as well, to be fair, aren't they? But I, I, I kind of err uh, in that same direction. Gents, how about we go to our final... Final game of this weekend review. Let's take it to Spain. Let's take it to the Supercopa because we're going to pretend for 10 minutes or so that Super Cups are important uh, because of the fact that it was Barcelona taking on Athletic Club in this one. And it was a darn gosh good game. Uh, 3-2 winners, Athleti, uh, Athletic Club coming out um, at the end of this one, which took place in Seville in La Cartuja, the Olympic Stadium in Seville, which looked like a very nice stadium. Let's pour some out for a second for Saudi Arabia, who did not get to host this game. So sorry Saudi Arabia you didn't get to host this one because of the uh, pandemic as uh, as they did host this game last season I think pouring some out is haram for Saudi Arabia my friend <laughs> excellent point excellent point let's rescind that one from the record and go on to say that this was a uh, you know an impressive one for Marcelino and uh, and Bill Bow here Marcelino becoming the first coach in history to win two finals in a row against Barcelona also achieving it with two different teams with Valencia in the Copa del Rey 2019 and Athletic Bilbao in uh, this one a stat from Opta there. It just seemed like I don't like to talk in these intangibles too much, but Athletic Club wanted it more. It seemed like they, like a lot, I don't know, like the Barcelona players couldn't be bothered to be there. They didn't really care that much, which I have just undermined the the, uh, the importance of Super Cups on the outset here. But did, did anyone else get that vibe? Grant, did you get that vibe? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And uh, there was a, a, a footage that the uh, Athletic Club put out on their Twitter after the game where on their bus it has a number of Supercoppers that they've they've won and Iker Munin spray paints, uh, he spray paints a three over the two. So, you know, I know that's a silly <laughs> little thing, but it it's kind of illustrates how, you know, this, this maybe matters a little bit more to them. Um, one thing I would say is this, this competition just didn't need to happen this season let alone go, go to extra time why do these why did these games go to extra time it should have been a straight penalty shootout if they have to play them but also you were mentioning pouring one out for uh, for Saudi Arabia they're pouring one out for the the Spanish Football Federation as well that's two seasons in a row that they have seeded Barcelona and Real Madrid in this contrived attempt to get a classical yep. in the final and then being uh, then being conquered in that effort so ha 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 uh, yep. to, to, con- to continue with that theme, uh, I, I did really enjoy, like, just in my mind, I really did do this, especially in the second half, of whenever they would cut to frustrated Barcelona players, like, having animated conversations, uh, because the Supercopa de España still confuses me about, like, wait, hold on, there were semifinals? What? Like, I just like the idea of cutting to, uh, like, let's say, uh, Longley, and he's having an animated conversation with Jordi Alba, and it's like, wait, were we the, the second place team, or did we win? I forget, how did we get here? Like, the idea of no, no one's entirely sure how they got here or why they're participating in this competition uh, yeah, and, made me endlessly entertained. And, and Athletic was, Club and Sociedad haven't even played the final of the Copa del Rey. Yeah, right. they, of, they qualified for this tournament. <laughs> it's like playing the Community Shield before the, 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 the winners of the Premier League and the FA Cup's been decided. 
Graham, I, I felt like I was legit taking crazy pills because it kept referring to both of them as finalists. And I was like, are they going out of their way to not say who won? Like, do they not want to hurt the other one's feelings? Again, I was very confused by, by how this competition came to be, mostly just because uh, I really don't care for the uh, the ruling government of the host or the intended host nation. That was a big part of this for me, I think, and will remain so. Quite, yeah. And obviously, that, that was the reason that this game was moved to this time of year as well. And Graham, you made the exact point I was going to make that the Cobb Ray final from last season and has not even <laughs> happened yet. Uh, I believe that's April that's scheduled for. So uh, very bizarre that this was given precedence over that. But uh, yeah, a, a good performance from uh, Athletic Club here who were very, very physical. Um, there was a yeah. red card in this game and it didn't go to an Athletic Club player, which might have surprised some people because uh, there was some criticism of the refereeing in here. I think uh, De Jong was sort of headbutted at one point. Munwain was getting a, uh, getting a bit physical and Garcia in the back as well, doing a lot of kicking and frustrating, I think, uh, it w- would be the way to go here. But, but um, yeah, it, the, the whole thing with Barcelona here was... I just got the impression they didn't want to be there that much. And maybe there was an issue with fatigue because if I'm not mistaken, didn't the semi-final, Barcelona semi-final early in the week also go to 120 minutes? They've played basically, you know, 240 minutes of useless soccer this week and they've got nothing to show for it. So I wouldn't be too happy if I were a Barcelona fan. Maybe one silver lining, Graham, would be Antoine Griezmann, who seems to have got his groove back a little bit with two goals in this game. Yep, and now he's got seven, he's had a, a hand in seven goals in his last four games for Barcelona, so it feels like he's finally. Um, to be honest, they're not really doing anything tactically different with him. He's still playing on the left side of of, of a, a four three three or a four two three one, and it just feels like he's he's embraced what is expected of him. So the, the the dirty work and tracking back and the defensive work has has always been the most valuable part of his game for Barcelona, but now he just seems to be a little bit more in sync with with the attack and, and a little bit more energetic and getting up and down and and, and that's made a, a a massive difference so I, this is one of these games where if you win it it's great and i think athletic club they, they should be encouraged by the start marcelino's made it that, that you know the, the first three games that he's had as manager have been barcelona real madrid and then barcelona and then amongst that he had a postponed game against atletico madrid as well um, so a little bit of a baptism of fire, and of those three games, he's won two of them. So a, a good a good start by them under, under their new manager. But the point I'm making is, if you win it, it's something you take a, a positive from. If you lose it, like Barcelona, I don't think you read too much into it. Their form has been better recently, and uh, I, I kind of expect them to um, pick up a little bit, even without Messi. Uh, as they, I've known they've got a Copa del Rey game this week, but then they've got Liga games again. So I don't think it's too much of a disaster, to be honest. Yeah, let's talk about Messi and his um, right hook red card shortly. But there was a few disappointing performances, I thought, Taylor on the pitch. I thought Longley was pretty poor here. Jordi Alba, I thought, was very poor. Sort of For the for the 2-2 goal, he sort of ducks out the way of the header as the ball comes in, which I thought was pretty curious. I'm not sure what he was doing there. Um, and also, if you look when he sort of was involved in the 2-1 goal, Barcelona, uh, Griezmann's second goal, uh, he's still sort of doing the 1-2 with Dembele on, the, on that flank. And if you watch him after the goal goes in, he doesn't sort of celebrate at all. He just stands still as Griezmann's running away. And I thought that said a lot about his his body language. Very interesting there. But and you know even yeah. Mingueza as as a fullback there, the defending yeah. for the two two goal, we sort of let Via Libra just get two yards on him and completely let him go. There was a lot of mess going on here, Taylor. 
the the Mengiza one especially, and I don't think this is just me as an American being frustrated that Serginho Dest comes out at halftime. I did a fair amount of frantic Googling to make sure he wasn't injured because uh, all Americans should constantly be wrapped in bubble wrap until we're in a major competition. Uh, and it doesn't seem like he was injured. It seems like it was a fatigue thing. It was the number of minutes he's been playing, maybe carrying a little bit of a knock. But when that change happens, I would argue Mengiza is involved in all three goals. Uh, he concedes the free kick that leads to the goal that's disallowed. Uh, but then I think he, like even for the winner, I think he he doesn't close down. And then he ends up, he I think he loses track of where he is and gets pulled inside. And that's why Williams has that channel where he receives the pass. Uh, and there's just little moments like that from him that I think more focused on the attack and trying to create, and I don't think he really succeeded there either. So that change didn't really make sense to me from Ronald Koeman. And I think a decent amount of what Ronald Koeman tried to do, especially in the second half and especially in extra time, didn't work for me either, culminating in the the winner for Williams. There's, like, there's a... I I took a screen grab of it because it blew my mind so much, but there is a point where... Uh, uh, Frankie de Jong has stepped forward and I think has assumed everybody else has as well and then he turns around and there is maybe 15 to 20 yards like a, like a complete circle around Munian as he gets the ball and no one seems entirely sure who's supposed to track him or who's supposed to step mm. and that discombobulation then leads to different people trying to step at different points and that's how that the winner eventually is scored. But that felt to me like a very glaring mistake for Ronald Koeman that if your team is tired, if you are struggling... Go to penalties, you can get that stability down, you can sort of make sure everybody stays home and then try to build from there. The lack of discipline in those final minutes, maybe it's fatigue, but I I do still have some questions about Ronald Koeman for sure. So too does Lionel Messi, I think, because he just walked right by him and there was not much of an exchange when Messi came off at that red card. Yeah, not in the best of moods here, but when you mentioned that goal, that 3-2 goal with Naki Williams with the wonderful finish there and Munoin having miles of space around him when he received the ball. Bear in mind that was, I think it was Alvarez, a centre-back, putting the ball through straight through the middle of the field. Yeah. It's like parting of the seas. Nothing in the middle of the field stopping that ball at all. It was quite incredible to see the amount of space through the middle of the park as well for that one. So definitely questions for Kuman in that setup. But uh, Leo Messi uh, getting a little bit frustrated in mm-hmm. this one, shall we say. With uh, Was it Villalibre that he knocked down? Yeah. I think it was. Yeah, so when, when you said that there was like, like, I think there was an allusion to housery uh, from, from Athletic Club, this was the big one for me. I wrote down in my notes, I think, uh, where uh, I think, like in extra time, I have in all caps. Via Libre has major Diego Costa energy. Right. Like I think this this came after he drew a free kick, went forward, uh, the ball's played, and he draws another free kick, and it was just a lot of taking his time, drawing those fouls. But then he always did a good job of leaving a little bit in after the ball had gone. When he goes in for a challenge, he always gets a little bit of the ball and a little bit of the man. But it's never enough for it to be a card. It's never enough for it to even be a foul. And I do think that's a big part of why it ends up being Via Libre who gets the, uh, the sort of wrist thump from Lionel Messi. Yeah, an interesting stat from Richard Jolly, by the way. Messi, that's his first red card for Barcelona in 753 games. If he were to equal Sergio Ramos' record of 26 (laughs) cards for Real Madrid, he would need to play another (laughs) 19,578 games for Barcelona. So let's see how many he gets uh, to to, to, uh, reach Sergio Ramos' record there. But yeah, certainly not covered himself in glory has Leo Messi there. I've got a theory maybe that... You know, he he does look a bit tired and fatigued. Does he just want the break from a few games of the Liga just to have a sort of um, suspension? Is there an, an, something to that, Graham? 
I'm not so sure about that because I, I feel like the fact he started this game showed that the power in the dressing room still lies with him um, mm. just because he it felt like that is not... I know we've questioned Coleman's decision-making, but it feels like that, that wouldn't have been a decision he'd make, particularly after leaving him out in the semi-final game. But um, yeah, I've got a little bit of a theory that, that the red cards seem to mark periods of, of, of strife, strife for Messi because of, he has been sent off for Argentina of course, mm-hmm. and he was yeah. sent off in the Copa America against Chile at a time when he was in open warfare with the Argentinian Football Federation. And I just wonder, look, maybe I'm reading way too much into this, but this last week we saw the, the Barcelona presidential election postponed and that feels tied to Messi's future and, and getting a bit of clarity on his future and maybe he's got other things on his mind. As I say, maybe reading a little bit too much into that, but there is a, there is a, a symmetry there between the, the problems he had with the Argentinian Football Federation and the problems he's having at Barcelona now and how red cards happened at the same time. Well, uh, Via it Libre felt- um, certainly blew Leo Messi's trumpet, um, so to speak, and then he blew his own <laughs> trumpet after the game. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this clip, but after the game, um, uh, Via Libre sort of leading Athletic Club in their celebrations with sort of a trumpet song they were all singing along to. It was pretty wonderful to see, and I demand that we see more of it, frankly. More wind instruments uh, to celebrate games, uh, Taylor. Uh, I mean, I think that was a horned instrument, sir. This is me, this is me being the, the, uh, the annoying detail. <laughs> Hang on, what's the wind person. instrument then? Am I confused? <laughs> yeah, I think that's like, you got to have a reed to play a wind instrument, like don't you? Isn't it like an oboe a wind instrument? I don't know these things. Does I don't know anymore. Oh, I don't know. What's a trump- not trumpet not got a reed? I'm, so, I'm probably sounding very silly here. <laughs> I, again, I played middle school trumpet and was told I don't need to play that much. Like, really, they basically were like, just like move your fingers around and make it seem like you're playing the trumpet while everybody else actually does. I'm not good with music. I don't know if that was coming across here. My wife is the... Uh, the talented one when it comes to music, I played the recorder when I was in fourth grade. Uh, but I did enjoy Villalibre's uh, uh, trumpeting. Uh, I also enjoy, Ryan, when you put these things in the show notes because like, I did not watch this game live. I was grocery shopping. Uh, I did know it finished 3-2. So in like the 119th minute, I was about to turn it off. I got 3-2. I know how this is going to be. I've got my notes. I'm ready to go. And then I saw the, the show document and saw messy red card. I was like, what's that now? Hold on now. Let's go back. And I also missed the trumpet for this one. So two important uh, inclusions from you. Thank you for that, Ryan Bailey. Oh, you're very welcome. And apparently, uh, according to Dermot Corrigan, uh, thanks for sharing the tweet with us, uh, Graham. Uh, uh, Via Libre is in a uh, a, a super band. Uh, what do you call oh, it? Uh, like a, a band of sorts. Um, he sings uh, He sings in a group called Orse. Uh, Danny Garcia plays the drums. DeMarcos and Vesga and uh, Balenciaga uh, play guitars and bass in that band. Sort of a, a Basque super, super troupe of, of sorts. Get Slavin Bilic in there. We're good to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Raw Bell. Why do I know that Slavin Bilic's uh, band is called Raw Bell? But that's I don't they're... know. Because <laughs> you have too much free time. <laughs> Evidently. I can't remember um, Porto's name, but I can remember Raw Bell. That's a that's pretty good uh, damning indictment of my memory there. Uh, Graham, uh, a very important question for you. Um, I've mentioned this, I think, to Taylor before on the show, but the Basque celebratory drink or one of the drinks they do enjoy is a calamocho. Are you aware of a calamocho and have you ever had one? No, I'm not. And and the Basque country is, I've I've been all over Spain to, 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 to football games all over Spain, love Spain. Basque country is on the list and before the pandemic happened, it was actually going to happen. Um, so no, I'm not familiar with that. Can you uh, educate me? So yeah, I would love to. I've certainly been to the Basque Country a couple of times. I've been to uh, Bilbao a few times. I went to the old San Mamés Stadium a few times. I, in fact, I watched a game against Real Zaragoza where Jermaine Pennant was uh, one of the players. Interestingly enough, Calamocho oh, yeah. though is um, one of the um, one of the sort of 
customary Basque drinks. It is 50% Coke, as in Coca-Cola, and 50% red wine. Apparently, cheaper the better. Mixed together in a glass. What they do is, um, they'll quite often do, like, on the way to games, is they'll get, a, like, one of those litre bottles of Coke, dump half of it out, put a bottle of wine in it, and there they go. It sound, it, it's, it's, uh, it's better than it sounds. I'll, I'll tell Ryan, you. Ryan, do you know what, do you know what it's called when you have three of those? Go on. Uh, depression. <laughs> this drink sounds decidedly Scottish. You know, just anything. That's, <laughs> that's what I was going like... to ask you. Because I thought if, you, if you'd like battered some food next to it, battered a chocolate bar next to it, that would be like the perfect Scottish night, wouldn't it? Put some iron brew in there as well and you're all good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a Scottish cocktail is whatever you can find in the kitchen. Just gin, Fanta, <laughs> vodka. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> We're veering into an Archer episode with like WD-40 and uh, Coca-Cola and rum. Let's figure out a way to make this work. Oh, God. Archer, I love Archer. Can I tell my one <laughs> Archer joke um, before before we uh, go off air? Um, I mean, you, you're, you're the host here, so I feel like you do whatever you want. You're the dictator. Okay, uh, Taylor, knock, knock. Who's there? Oh, my God. In- interrupting cow. Interrupting Moo! cow. Yeah, that, was one, that one's on Archer quite a lot. I do enjoy it a lot. Uh, on that note, let's, uh, let's go off and have some calamochos all round and celebrate with Athletic Club. Gentlemen, thank you so much for today's weekend review. Is there any more for any more before we head off into the sunset? Nope, I I'm think not we saying covered anything. everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> protesting that joke. Sorry, Graham. <laughs> It's a good joke. Leave it to the Archer writers. Don't blame me on that one. Anyway, gentlemen, thank you so much. Graham, thank you for your time. Thanks, Ryan. Tay Tay, thank you so much. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>